As I was praying recently, uh, you know, actually after the last month or so, this um, Jono, Jono, this is, this is your fault because every single time, almost, Jono prays. He prays this, God, you are good, you are great, you are faithful. And so for the next three weeks, including today, obviously, I want to look at what it means, what, it, what that means, that God is good, that God is great, and that God is faithful. You know, and, and next time when John is praying that over us as a church in some aspect or whatever, or whenever you're praying over it, someone else with these words, God, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're great. We thank you that you're faithful. You know, it'll just give it a bit more meat maybe for you. So that's my prayer anyway, because I think it's a wonderful subject that God's goodness, God's greatness and his faithfulness, because he is good. He is great and he is faithful. So tonight, we're looking at God is good. And Josh, I need you. We're looking at God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, if we're in an islander church, I love the, the fact that Wesleyan Methodists, we're, we're fairly eclectic in our cultural diversity. Uh, you can go to an islander church. You can go to a Filipino church. You can go to an African church. You can go to a Chinese church. You can go to an English church that does these sorts of songs. You can go to an English church that does those sorts of songs. And it just, we're so different, you know. But God isn't. He's always good. He's always great. And he's always faithful. But I love how we go like to churches like Upper Room or, or something like somewhere like that where there's an islander population. Someone will get up and they'll just say, God is good. And then everyone else will just say, what? All the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, and, and sometimes we can be in that situation where someone says those words and it almost just kind of rolls off of our ears and doesn't stick as if there's glad wrap on our ears or on the ears of our hearts. Just to, just to hear those words, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, I've been in times where they're not good, not good times, not good times at all. And I wish in that time that I could change it, that I might be able to just delete it or just, you know, run away from it. But in that bad time, in that not so good time, God is good all the time, like all the time, all the time, every single moment of the day, God is good. He never stops being good. He is good. God is good. You know, we say God is love. Right? God is love, his holy, light, love, spirit, truth. They're the, they're the attributes of God. And he's good as well. God is good. But the word good in our day, I think, um, you know, it's kind of changed, hasn't it? Like, for example, let's pick on teenagers. Um, I won't name anyone, but um, pretty much it, could, it just could apply to any teenager these days. 
might ask them for something like, you know, I, might, I might say, well, look, you know, would you like me to buy you a, a, uh, a thick shake at Macca's? And um, if they want one, they'll say, yes, please. But if they don't want, want one, what do they say? I'm all good. I'm all good. Have you, ever, have you ever had that experience before? Where you've asked someone what they would like, and instead of saying no, they say these words. I'm all good. I'm all good. Or it's all good. I'm confused. Maybe I'm just getting old. You know, I, I want to get to know my teenagers more and more as they grow up. So I'm learning that this phrase, I'm all good, means no thank you. But I'm trying to train my children to say no thank you instead of I'm all good, aren't I? Yes, I am. I'm all good. But what does that mean to be all good? Because, you know, Jesus, when he was walking on this earth 2,000 years ago, he had a guy come up to him and called him good teacher. He goes, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? God alone is good. God alone is good. You know, just let those words sink in. God alone is good. But we still use that word good in uh, different aspects, don't we? Like, I had a good day today. I hope you guys are doing good. <laughs> but only God is good. Psalm 34 verse 8 we read it earlier. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. You know, it's an experience. Taste. You, you, you need to do something about it to taste something, right? If you want to taste something, you have to put it into your mouth like I just tasted my water. <laughs> Taste is an experience and see is a perception. In order for us to really know that God is good, like he is already good, whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we agree with it or not, he is good, right? But in order for you and I to experience that he is good in our life, it takes action from us. It takes faith. It takes some kind of belief, some kind of experience that we go through to see that he's good. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an experience. He wants us, he invites us into the experience. And often the experience doesn't look nice. Often the experience is wrapped up in some kind of problem or difficulty or restrictions. But in the midst of that, he wants us to reach out, to taste. He wants us to do something to trust him in that, to lean on him and then see that he's actually good in that. Psalm 23 is the, uh, the psalm of the good shepherd, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Beautiful psalm. It's always at people's funerals, pretty much. Um, but if, if you notice throughout that whole psalm, it talks about the goodness of God experienced in his presence. You know, in verse 6, 
of Psalm 23 says that uh, David writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Is presence. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You know, there's this whole, I, there's this whole truth in the whole of Psalm 23 about the presence of God in the midst of everything, in the midst of, you know, much, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the enemy, in the midst of all the days of our life, whether we see him or not, he's present and he's good. His presence and his goodness go hand in hand. Now, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 33, our reading from tonight. And let's see this. Let's, I want, hopefully we can walk away from tonight seeing something about the goodness of God and his presence and how they go hand in hand. They're the same thing. His goodness is, is his presence because he is good, right? It's a mathematical equation. So Exodus chapter 33, and I've got the NIV, just so that you guys know. Exodus chapter 33. And um, I want you to have a look at um, verse, well, basically what, what Moses is doing here is he's just, he's, he's been through a season of meeting with God in the tent of meeting, right? So he would go out of the camp of the Israelites. He'd meet in this tent and God would come down and meet with him in the tent, and then he'd leave from there. Sometimes Joshua, his, his, uh, his mate, would stay there and uh, not leave the tent and, st and still spend time with God in the tent. But then Moses goes on further, uh, and, he, and he speaks with God, and he says um, in verse 13, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Right. This is interesting because I would have thought that Moses already knew God. Like, you know, he's had this relationship with God in the tent of meeting. He meets with him in the tent of meeting. You know, it's almost like once a week we come to church and we meet with God once a week. Like it's that sort of thing. You know, you get to know God once a week. But now he says to God, teach me your ways so I may know you. So there's this element where Moses, he's, he's not really satisfied with where his relationship with God is right now. And he wants more. He desires more. He's hungry for more. He knows there's more. He's got this, this desire, this hunger inside of him, this, this hope that there is more to know about God. I wonder, do you have that? I know sometimes we can get caught up in a rut and think, well, you know, I'm not really sure if I know, if I can know much more about God. Well, he wants us to truly ask him, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then the Lord says this in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses should be happy with that, right? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Fine. Great. That sounds good. But have a look at what he says in verse 18. Moses then takes it another step. 
in verse 18, after God says that he will do everything and he's pleased with Moses and he's going to be with him and he knows Moses by name, Moses thinks, okay, I'm going to be bold now and I'm going to say this. Now show me your glory. Moses, a man, right? Just, he's just a man. And, and he's a man who had his own doubts about himself, about his own leadership. You know, he's like, God, who am I? to be leading your people out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt. You know, I'm nothing, you know, and I, I have a speech impediment. You know, what, what do I have? What can I do? Who am I? And, and, and he gets to this point because he spent so much time with God. He gets to this point where he's like, okay, I'm confident to ask you to show me your glory. I think, you know, when you spend enough time with Jesus, you actually believe that you can do more than you ever thought you could. When you spend time with the Lord, he gives you this courage, this, this kind of assertiveness in a, okay, a boldness to ask him for more in your life. And Moses says, show me your glory. Like he says to God, the creator, show me your glory. No, please. No, can you please? No, may you? I'd like to see your glory. He's like, God, you've got to show me your glory. And the Lord seems to respond in a way that says, this is good. I like this in a person, right? The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Isn't that interesting? Moses asks for what? He asks for God to show him his glory, God's glory. And so what does then God say? I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, in front of you. There's this, uh, maybe God wasn't hearing properly. You know, maybe, maybe God had his uh, hearing aids out that time and uh, he thought that Moses said goodness. Well, that's not true, is it? That's just funny. That's not true at all. God is saying something about his glory to Moses. And he's also saying something about his goodness to Moses and to us. That, that God's actual glory, his actual presence, his person is goodness. It is goodness in its most pure form. He is intrinsically good. And God says to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. But get this. Then later on in verse 21, the Lord says this to Moses. There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. You may stand on a rock, right? When my glory passes by. So God's just now interchanging goodness and glory. He says, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. See what's passing, what's passing by? Is it God's glory? Is it God's goodness? Or is it God? Yes, is the answer to that, right? So God in his glory is good. So he's good all the time because he's always God and he's always in glory and he's always good. And so what he says here to Moses is, I'm going to 
cause all of my goodness to pass by you, but you're not actually going to be able to withstand how good I really am because he has to put him in the cleft of a rock. He has to hide him in a, in a cleft in the rock with his hand. God's hand is hiding Moses from his goodness. Well, it's actually hiding Moses from his face. Can you see that in uh, verse 23? After God says that he will cover him with his hand until he's passed by, it says in verse 23, then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. You know, because if anyone sees the face of God, they die. And that's not good news for anybody, right? But Moses, he wanted to see God's face. He wanted to see God's glory. He wanted to see God's presence. He wanted to see God's goodness. He wanted all of God, as much as he could possibly get. But God knew that Moses was lacking in something. And that if Moses saw everything that God had to offer of himself on that mountain that day, then Moses would become a pile of dust, probably even nothing. He would have to die. Because God's goodness is so good that in the face of us people, we're not good. And we're unable to see his goodness. God's goodness is his glory. It's his presence. It's who he is, right? Have a look at verse 22. When God says to Moses, he says, When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. You know, when God's goodness passes by, sometimes we don't notice it because God has hidden us in a place of safety. You know, we go through those tough times where we lose, where there's loss or grief or brokenness or suffering or pain or death. You know, and, and what we find is like God is always good, but in the midst of that, He's kept us safe inside, hidden, hidden us safe inside. And, and, and it's not until after he has passed by that situation that we're able then to see his back. We're able then to see his goodness. Hindsight is a beautiful thing, is it not? Is it not? You know, I don't think anyone, maybe they're just super Christian, super spiritual, but you know, when you're going through a bad situation or a trial or depression or suffering in some way, it's really hard to actually see God's goodness. And that's why we need to believe that God is good. We need to have faith that God is good in the midst of the hard times, in the midst of that time where he's passing by, we can't handle whatever's going on. He hides us there so that we can just trust that he is good even when we're not even when it seems like nothing is going well, he is still good. All the time he's good. Even though Moses never got to see the face of God, he got to see where God had been. He got to see the goodness of God in hindsight. 
And it's beautiful because where, where it says in verse 23, where God says to Moses, I will remove my hand and you will see my back. It's actually plural. You'll see the places I've been. You've, you'll see the things I've done. That's, it's not talking about his actual physical back. It's talking about hindsight. It's like the picture of this person rowing. They're going forwards, but they're looking back to see the impact that they've made on the water. And it's like that for us as believers. You know, We walk by faith, not by sight. But isn't it good to have hindsight? To actually look back and see in history God's goodness, God's hand, God's faithfulness, his perfect timing, you know, especially when we didn't see it or it didn't make sense when we were in the moment. But God hid us in the cleft of a rock. And, you know, that's such a picture, I believe, of Jesus. Such a picture of Jesus. Because just like Moses, he wanted to see God's glory. He wanted to see God face to face. God in all of his goodness, right? But he could never do it. But God in his goodness has shown his face in Jesus. He's shown his face to the world in Jesus. He's revealed his glory. John starts his gospel off like this. Well, in verse 14 of chapter 1 in John, it says the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The glory of God wasn't... Moses wasn't able to see the full glory of God, but it was always God's plan to show his full glory to every single man and woman and child. But Moses wasn't ready yet. But because of Jesus, everyone is now able to see the full glory of God in the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 starts like this. The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Exact representation of his being. Am I repeating this too much? Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus, Jesus Christ is not just some nice person. He's not just some good teacher that taught us all good morals and, you know, taught the world that love your neighbor as yourself is what we all need to do. It's not about that. Jesus is the exact representation of God with us. He is, he is the full radiance of God's glory. If you want to know what God's goodness looks like in person, Look at Jesus. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Jesus was good all the time. In fact, one day, a man came up to Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, and that's what, the, that's what, that's what religion does, right? It comes and says, what can I do to go to heaven? What do I have to do so that God can be happy with me? What, what do I have to do so that God can show me favor? You know, Moses, Moses understood that favor with God and a relationship with God was something wonderful. 
and he asked God to show him his glory. But this man came to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, I'm pretty close, aren't I? And what did Jesus say in response? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. <laughs> and that's, I think that's awesome because in hindsight, we can see that Jesus is God. And, and this man was given a, a little kernel of truth from Jesus. Maybe Jesus was trying to sell him, you know, actually, I'm actually God. <laughs> but the man didn't understand this because he understood his way to get to God was by doing good things. That's not how it works. Our way to God is by God coming to us in the person of Jesus, not by us getting to him. And Moses was hidden in this cleft, in this rock. As God's glory passed by, Moses was able to withstand the glory of God because he was hidden in a rock. And I believe that rock is a real good symbol for Jesus. You know, we are, as believers, if we put our trust in Jesus, we are actually in a relationship with God. We're, in, we're involved in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're in a relationship with him. We can come to him boldly. We don't have to go through the blood of goats or the blood of bulls or the blood of anything. We can just come to him in faith, in Jesus' name, and approach the throne of God in prayer to, to witness his goodness, his glory, his presence. In fact, I think it even goes further. Not so that we could actually witness his goodness or to know and experience his goodness, not just to taste and see that he is good. But God has done this in such a way, in such a masterful plan, that he has caused his goodness to come inside of every single believer by his Holy Spirit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit, singular, by the way, everyone, the fruit of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is love, joy, peace, patience. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is all of these fruit are growing at the same time as we keep in step with the Spirit of God in our lives. His joy, His peace, His love, His goodness, His self-control is manifesting itself in larger ways in our life, not for our benefit, but for those around us. Amen? Like my kids are so thankful when I'm in prayer to God and asking him to fill me with his Holy Spirit because they know they're going to have a good father, they're going to have a loving father, they're going to have a joyful father, you know, and you tick all the boxes. He wants to give his goodness to you and to me so that we can give his goodness to them. Not to my kids, but to people, you know, to everyone. And I'm so glad that it is his fruit for me. Because the Bible says that no one is actually good except God. No one is good. Sorry, teenagers, if you say you're all good, we know what you mean. But you know what I mean, right? We're not all good. We're actually not. 
We will be in heaven. <laughs> God is all good. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 12 says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. God's goodness. God's goodness. It's something that we can experience every single day of our life. But even when we don't see it or experience it, we need to know that He is good. He is good all the time. Something else I love about God's goodness, and that He is good, God is good, His goodness leads us to repentance. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it talks about that. His goodness leads us to repentance. Because God is good, it, it gets us to a point in our life where we, we change the way we think and the way we live because He's so good to us. Now, I would have thought God's judgment leads us to repentance or you know, God's mercilessness leads us to repentance. That's not how it works. It says his goodness leads us to repentance. I'll think of a couple of stories just off the top of my head. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 5, there's a beautiful story where Jesus meets Peter, the, uh, the, the disciple, the fisherman at this stage. And he comes to Jesus, sorry, Jesus comes to Peter and borrows his boat, right, to, to teach the crowds. And, um, and then after he's finished, right, finished speaking in verse um, 4, he says to Peter, Simon, right, because he was named Simon as well. Simon put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Isn't that beautiful? Like Jesus has just blessed Simon Peter. They've been fishing all night. They couldn't catch a thing, right? And so then Jesus is like, okay, thanks for letting me use your boat. Throw out your nets on the other side. And so Peter's just trusted Jesus, even when it didn't make sense. And Jesus has just blessed him with goodness. So many fish that they couldn't handle it. So much goodness that they couldn't handle it. And what does, Je what does Peter do to respond? He just gets on his face and says, I'm a sinful man. He repents. He repents. And that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. I think a church, a healthy church, is a place where people are on their face crying out to God, saying, I'm so sorry I didn't get you right the first time. Please forgive me. Because God's goodness leads us to repentance. Jesus, um, Jesus said to his disciples in uh, John chapter 20 and verse 21, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You know, 
The Father sent Jesus full of grace and truth. His goodness on display, his glory on display. And now Jesus says to his disciples and to us, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus was sent to reveal the goodness of God. The goodness of the Father and to lead people to a personal relationship with the Father. Not by works, but by grace, by goodness, by repentance and turning to him through Jesus. And we are to reveal the nature of our Father too. Our Father in heaven, just as Jesus did. He sends us to reveal who he is to a hurting world, to a broken world. Not judging and condemning. That's not our job but showing God's goodness to them. That's where revival is. That's where repentance is. When the goodness of God is so on display to people, you can read about it in the Bible, everywhere where there's goodness, where the goodness of God is on display in, ama in amazing ways, there's revival. You know, I'm, I remember um, a lot of my friends when I started going to church, uh, as a young person, they would say things like, oh, I don't deserve to go to church. You know, I'm not good enough. When I'm good enough, I'll go to church. You know, as if going to church was the thing. But a lot of people approach God that way. A lot of people don't even know that God is good. Some people think that he's just waiting to strike them down with a bolt of lightning because they did something wrong. You know, and, and whose fault is that? If people believe that about God, we should be representing God's goodness, who he is to the people around us, as we're real people getting real with a real God. We aren't good enough. My friends would be right. We're not good enough to be in his presence. But God is good enough. And that's the message. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, that you are good. And thank you so much that your goodness is something that we can rely on in every season of life. And Lord, we pray that not only will we remember and trust your goodness in all situations, but that we might reveal your goodness in all situations too. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.